We all benefit from bountiful farms across the country, and many regions have their specialties. Almonds and grapes grown in California, corn and soybeans from the Midwest, Walla Walla onions and Washington apples, and Wisconsin cheese, just to name a few. I would be remiss if I didn't mention one of the biggest and tastiest of all of the food icons, the Idaho potato. It's harvest time, and grower Blake Matthews will show us how it's done. I think the keys to harvesting a good potato are you've got to maintain plant health throughout the season, and that starts with soil health. You've got to keep that plant happy. And if you can do that throughout the season and give it what it needs according to the plant samples that we pull, then then we will eventually harvest a, a good potato. Welcome to Redox Grows, an in-depth look at key issues affecting agriculture and the people that make it all happen. I'm Jim Morris with Redox Bionutrients in Burley, Idaho. Today, a short drive from our headquarters to check out harvest of the crop that made Idaho famous. Blake Matthews is a fifth-generation farmer in Oakley. He has a degree in agricultural mechanics and equipment machine technology from Utah State University. Blake, I appreciate your time, and I imagine that degree comes in handy. Very much so. Almost every day, actually, here on the farm. Tell me about your operation. We're going to be talking specifically about potatoes, but I'd like to know some of the other commodities that you work with. I farm with my dad and my brother. Our operation is called Matthews Land and Cattle, and so we actually have a farm uh, where we farm about 2,500 acres, all irrigated, uh, potato, sugar beets, malt, barley, wheat, corn, and alfalfa, as well as uh, we have a cattle herd and then also a custom feedlot uh, where we can feed about 6,000 head at a time in there. And my, my brother, he kind of takes care of the cattle and the feedlot, and I take care of the farm and the equipment, and my dad kind of ramrods the whole whole thing. When you have a variety of commodities, does that help you when perhaps some have lower markets and others might be doing better? Is there more financial strength in being a little more diverse? Oh, absolutely. Our diversity has saved us a lot of years. You know, we haven't had a year yet where everything is down. You know, some years the cattle is is carrying the the place. Sometimes it's the spuds. Sometimes it's the beets. So, yeah, no, the diversity has saved us a lot uh, through the years. and, And I think that's one of our strengths on our operation. Let's talk about the spuds. How many different varieties and acres do you have of potatoes? So this year we've just got two varieties. We uh, grow western russets as well as russet burbanks. Um, and we're a little bit down on acres this year. Uh, we've got about 450 acres of potatoes this year. Rain in early fall has slowed things down a little bit. I noticed quite a lot of puddles and um, tractors and a fair amount of water as I came in. But I suspect that's typical this time of the year. So harvest has started. What are some of your general thoughts about what you're seeing? Yes, harvest has started. We are on a, a few day uh, rain delay. So far, the crop is uh, is the quality looks really good. I think yields uh, were probably a little bit lower than what we had hoped for, but are still above the last two years. So I think I think they're looking okay. When you look at the per acre yields, what is a good range that a potato grower would want to see? I think the average in the state is somewhere around 410 sacks to the acre. In our area, I mean, ideally, if you can be over 500 sacks to the acre, that's kind of the wish list and, you know, what you would consider a successful year. 
Is a sack 100 pounds? A sack would be 100 weight, which is 100 pounds of potatoes. Does each variety need specific care, or is it pretty much a one-size-fits-all for growing potatoes? No, each variety needs its own, and we actually take it to a whole other level. We, we not only go to a field level, but then we also have zones within those fields that we manage specifically to that zone. What are the characteristics of productive yields in a healthy farm? What are some of the keys to that? A lot of it is product selection, but then also how you manage. You know, we're, we're going for overall soil health, uh, which in turn gives plant health. And so the, the products that we use throughout the, the, the season, uh, much of those from Redox, we're really striving for overall plant health and giving that plant what it needs to produce the crop that we're after. A lot of that is, is making sure that our lower levels are up there, but then also not overdoing it. I think it, at times, especially with nitrogen, guys can overdo it with nitrogen. Actually, that causes more of a problem than underdoing it. Let's talk about some of the Redox products that you have had success with. And another thing that I think is really interesting about Redox technology is oftentimes a little bit can go a long way. I'd like just a little more information on some of those products that really make a difference for you. Some of the main products that we use would be uh, Rutex, uh, RootRx, Mainstay Calcium, Mainstay SI, DICAP, and P58 would probably be kind of our main range of products that we use. We actually have gone away from all commercial phosphate on our farm and ha have done that for the last uh, seven or eight years. Uh, we rely a lot on Rutex and P58 at planting in furrow as well as DICAP in season to provide the, the, the phosphate that the, our plants are needing. With the RootRx and uh, as well as the Rutex, in furrow, we've seen some huge plant health benefits from that between where they're a, a very carbon-based fertilizer and, and plant stimulant. We've seen some huge disease suppression from it where we've actually been able to walk away from fungicides and insecticides in our crops, mainly on, on potatoes and sugar beets and corn. And so the Redox products have been a huge benefit to us. They're part of a big program that, uh, that we run that, that really, I think, has made a big difference and kind of sets us apart with what we're doing with them. We talked earlier about commodity prices can go up and down. So how helpful is it to use these kinds of product to make sure that you're going to have a good yield at the end of the day? At least you're not overly worried about that, I hope. You're always worried about yield because you've still got Mother Nature to contend with, and there's no fix for that yet. With these products, we're, we're kind of able to, to trim our spend, if you will, on it and kind of hopefully take the highs and lows out of things and, and kind of just make it more of a, a flatline deal to where we know where we're going to be at uh, for those yields and that. Is it difficult sometimes for long-standing growers to think about new inputs to their crops. They're already taking so many risks. I imagine that stepping out into a new area, it may take them a little uh, leap of faith to get there. And is that something that you experienced when you shifted over to Redox? How I ended up with Redox was uh, with my agronomist, Jared Cook. We, we've worked together for going on 12 years now. And we were both just tired of the status quo, that, that, that the next big thing was the new fungicide that was coming out that was going to save the farm. We knew there had to be something better, and so we kind of started down the road using some of the Redox products and have met the right people that have pointed us in the right direction and have gotten the correct data with the correct labs and, and really kind of have gone down that road and have proven it as well as, you know, we've made some assumptions and then proven they were right and some were wrong and we've corrected that. But we've been able uh, through the years to, to kind of get 
what some people would say out in the weeds. Um, but we've normalized it and we know it works and we can do it every year on every crop year in, year out. And so, yes, I think it's a big step for some growers to, to take that leap of faith. Well, well, we've never done that before. But, I mean, we just got tired of the status quo. And so we knew there had to be something better out there. And I think we found it. Potatoes grow underground. So is that more of a challenge than some of the other crops that you work with? It is because it's hard to tell what you've got going on underneath there. You know, we dig a lot up, but it's such a small sample size, if you will, to the whole entire field to kind of judge what's going on. We judge a lot off of uh, off of plant sampling and soil sampling to know how we're doing, um, as well as looking at that top canopy plant uh, to kind of judge and see how the plant health is and, and in theory know what we've got underneath. What are some of the challenges that you might see in terms of insects disease? Some of the things that cause you the most sleepless nights if they do become an issue? Potatoes are very susceptible to certain diseases, early blight, late blight, a lot of insect pressure in that. Some of the ways that we've dealt with those are a lot of redox products. For instance, Mainstay SI helps to create a barrier on the leaves that uh, that sucking and biting insects can't get through. And so we've been able to step away from fungicides because of our use of, of Mainstay SI in our program to be able to, to make those plants almost impervious to those types of insects. Technology is a really interesting area, and it's certainly expanded in many industries, including agriculture. What are some of the ways that you utilize high technology that perhaps many years ago you wouldn't even thought that would be possible? I've been back on the farm full-time for 20 years, and so when I first came back, GPS was just starting. And so, I mean, and now, I mean, everything's steered by GPS. It's a huge time saver. It just makes every operation more efficient. So that's one thing that's huge. With that GPS, I mean, we're variable rate spreading our, our compost. We're variable rate planning. We can, we can do so much with things. And, I mean, now they have an on-the-fly soil tester that, you know, that we're playing with. I mean, some huge opportunities there. If you don't have to wait for a week to get your samples back and you know instantly what there is, I mean, how much of a time saver is that going to be? And so, I mean, there's all these technologies that are just lining up to help the farmer. And I think guys might be a little hesitant just because it's so new. But you've got to figure out whether it's going to work on your farm or not. And uh, I think by doing that, sometimes sometimes you're on the cutting edge and sometimes the cutting edge is a little bloody, but there's only one way you're going to find out. As someone who kind of worked his way into cell phones since I'm a little bit older, there are some downsides when you see all the people always on their phones when they can see some beautiful sights. However, I suspect it can help for technology. How much does your cell phone help? We can run all of our pivots off of our cell phone, which is a huge time saver. I mean, they alert us if there's a problem, so we get a text message if there's, you know, if a, if a pivot is broke down, so we can go out and work on it. That's just one thing, let alone record keeping. I keep a lot of files on my phones to keep track of things. Taking pictures is a huge other thing that we can we can kind of log our pro- crop progress through the season, and then we can go back and look at it the next year and say, okay, on this date, where were we at? And compare year to year to year, and it's all in the palm of your hand. And so, I mean, I think there's some huge, yeah, cell phones have been a huge boon, but yet also, like you say, I think some people are on them a little too much. A lot of the things you've been speaking of in the last several minutes remind me of sustainability. When you're charting your progress, you're using all the latest technology, or you're using less inputs and you're getting great results from it. How seriously do you take sustainability and how big of an issue do you feel this is in agriculture? Sustainability is a word that has been around for farmers for a long time. 
They might not have always called it that, but every farmer is trying to be sustainable. Otherwise, they'd be out of business. The path we've kind of gone down wasn't necessarily to be more sustainable other than we were trying to get more bang for our buck out of it or we were trying to get a better return on investment and I think every farmer's out there trying to do that to to be sustainable because we know if we're not our livelihood's going to go away if we can't maintain a profit and continue to pay our bills then we're going to be out of business I think that's something that farmers have always you know strive to do is is to be sustainable Part of that is sustainability in terms of your income level, and you have kids, and I suspect you want them to be involved in agriculture too. How important is it to make sure that you can make a decent living at this, not only for now, but for decades to come? Well, I mean, that's the ultimate deal. I mean, yeah, you, you do it for the love of it, but you if you're not surviving, then what's the point? I've got four kids. Um, my oldest is just turned 10, and he loves being on the farm and so does my next one two boys and two girls and yeah and they love they love coming out being on the farm and that and that's what I would love to be able to pass this down to them and hopefully we can keep it together enough to be able to do so. When you look at sustainability in food it all starts with the farms but there's many other levels there's the processors there's a retail sector how important is it for all of these elements to work together and really understand each other so this is sustainable not only environmentally but getting products to the consumer that are high quality and affordable price and also that there's a reasonable income for growers how important is everyone coming together and understanding the different sectors of the food production cycle i think it's huge that everybody's got to come together and make this thing work i mean america is still the safest and the cheapest food supply in all the world the farmers have always delivered the whole chain has got to work together to make it work and, uh, you know, everybody's got to make sure each other are profitable. That includes the growers. We've got to maintain profitability, otherwise we're not going to be around. Let's talk about Idaho potatoes in general. Obviously, extremely well-known and wonderfully tasting. So why does Idaho do so well with growing potatoes? The volcanic soil is a huge thing. We've got great soil to grow them. And then also our growing season, we've got warm days and cool nights, which help help the potatoes just become what they are. And as far as I'm concerned, the Idaho potato is the best one in the country. We just have high standards, and, and I think we grow a great crop. When you think about you know the freshest, best-tasting crop, and the difference between some of the different products, you know, peaches come to mind for me, a beautiful summer peach that's bursting when you eat it, full of sugar. Tomatoes, that's something with a big difference. But I have been heartily impressed with the Idaho potatoes, and I've found my best French fry locations, the AC Drive-In, Edith's, and most notably Steve-O's Restaurant. How much do you enjoy a good Idaho potato, and how best do you enjoy them? For me, it's hard to beat a fresh french fry. That's probably my family's favorite way to eat it, as well as mine, but there's nothing better than a good baker either. And so there's nothing better than just coming out in the field and, and digging one up and having it for dinner that night. We try and grow the best crop we can, the safest crop we can that I feed my own family with. Where do your potatoes go? So we actually grow for both the fresh and the processed sector. Our processing potatoes end up with McCain's that are made into French fries, hash browns, uh, frozen products like that. Our fresh stuff also, uh, we're a, co- a member of a Sun Valley Potato Cooperative, uh, which is a fresh pack shed. And so they'll end up in grocery stores, restaurants from there. This is not a nine to five. It's also filled with challenges, but you have a big family history in it. What do you like about the farming occupation that you have? 
I still awe at being able to put a seed in the ground and then what we get out of it at the end. That still just just makes me smile and to be able to be a part of that process and to be able to deliver a, a safe and healthy food to America. Thank you so much for your time, Blake. Thank you. I'd like to thank Blake Matthews for his time and comments today. For more information on Idaho potatoes, you can go to IdahoPotato.com. And if you visit the Gem State, consider checking out the Idaho Potato Museum in Blackfoot. It's great for the young and young at heart. I visited a few months ago and had a lot of fun. Their displays included Marilyn Monroe, comic books, and, of course, a Mr. Potato Head sighting. Check it out. It's sure worth it. And you can learn more about Redox at RedoxGrows.com. We have every podcast episode, blogs, product information, and so much more. You can also email us with comments at podcast at RedoxGrows.com. Thanks for listening.